Hey everyone, um, I've missed you guys. And as you guys watch this right now, uh, I am on a plane with my whole family heading for Asia. And uh, I wanted to speak to you one last time, um, partly selfish, but kingdom focused. Um, I just wanted to speak and ask you for your prayers. Um, Other people are praying for us, but I, when I think of who knows us and who understands us best, not that anyone really understands us, but it would be, it would be you guys. Um, even though I've been away for the last few months, I, I think about Cornerstone. I pray for Cornerstone. I pray specifically for faces and, and friends and people I remember um, you guys have been a huge part of our lives for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. And I consider you family. And I, I even think, you know, I get these weird scenarios in my head, but sometimes I think, okay, what if something really difficult happened? What would I do? And, and this is the first place I would run. I mean, obviously I'd run to the Lord, but as far as the, the body and, and where do I go? Like, this is home. You are my family. You're my brothers and sisters. And, and, um, and I just, I, I just, you, you, you guys know, I don't ask a lot of you. I, I mean, for me, I ask a lot of you. I always ask a lot of you, you know, for the kingdom. But for me, it's just one of those things where I just, I really just want to ask you for your prayers at this point in our life because it is the craziest time of our life. Things are great. Things are amazing. God has just shown himself in so many ways, but I need your prayers. We need your prayers. Um, Lisa, even uh, maybe a month or so ago, said, uh, you know, if we, if we know the Lord's leading us somewhere new, um, why don't we just sell the house? And wow, really like sell the house so that we, we head off for Asia for however long and, and we don't have anywhere after that to go. Like there's no home and she was okay with it. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. And so we, we packed up the house and, and it's, we have no home right now, which is, it's, it's a great feeling. It's, it's, uh, you know, whenever I, I look at it biblically, I'm cool. When I, when I look in the flesh, I get scared, but it's, it's exciting. Nothing is holding us back now. It could be that as we visit some of these countries, that the Spirit of God, which I believe the Holy Spirit still leads us uh, nowadays. I um, believe He's living, He's active, and, and it could be possible that God would make it clear that when we're in one of these countries, that we're supposed to stay there. And the amazing thing is that we can, um, that we're freed up from that. We don't have anything... Um, forcing us to come back but ultimately we believe that as we take this trip the holy spirit's going to direct us and tell us where we're supposed to go next and i know that sounds weird to some of you and um but god's always guided my life he's always had this supernatural amazing care for me and direction for my life and so i really am not worried about it but i do want your prayers my wife made a great comment uh, the other day, a couple weeks ago. She said, uh, she, said she, she was just talking about her Bible reading. She says, you know, I'm reading in the Bible. And, and she goes, I, she goes I, I look at what we're doing now. She goes, and it seems very 
plain, very normal, very like not even a real step of faith. She goes, why is it that uh, um, so many of my friends are like, oh, I can't believe what you're doing or I could never do that. She goes, I, I look at the Bible and go, it seems very normal. And, and it was a great statement because I, I was able to, yeah, you know what, you're right, honey. Every time I look at the Bible, I look at what we're doing and go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But then when I take my mind off of the Bible and just look around, that's when it gets weird. And 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 uh, the thing I really want to say is, is sometimes people will look at my life and go, oh, look at what they're doing. That's so radical. And I'm going, no, not if you look at the Bible. If you look at the Bible, then my life is actually uh, somewhat boring or, or, or plain or or maybe tame. I, I mean, really, if, if, if you're looking at, you're reading the book of Acts, and this is what I was thinking the other day. If you're reading the book of Acts and, and you turn to Acts, I don't know, where am I? Um, Acts 14, um, randomly. Uh, here's Paul. He's in uh, Lystra, and it says, uh, you know, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But the disciples gathered around him. He rose up, entered the city. On the next day, he went on to Barnabas, you know, to Derby. When they preached the gospel of that city, they made many disciples. You know, you're, you're reading this. I mean, what if you're reading, it's like, oh, okay, so Paul leaves stone, he's left for dead, you're reading, reading, and then suddenly, and then there was this man named Francis. He went to Asia. Like, would you really stop and go, wow, now that's radical. I mean, a Chinese guy going to Asia, that, that blows my mind. No, you would just go, why is that even in there? Come on, let me read on. What else did Paul do? Like, it would just be like this boring, this blip, this whatever. You wouldn't look at it as radical. And sometimes we just, we, we say these things are radical because we're not, we're not thinking biblically. And so it was just a very cool thing as my wife shared that. I thought, you know what? That's it. I got to keep looking at the Bible. I got to keep going, okay, what is normal according to this book? And, and what is weird according to this book, because the goal of my life is I, I, I want one day my life, I, I want it to make sense in light of the New Testament and go, yeah, Francis would fit into the book of Acts. And, and I want your life to do that. I want you to think through your life and going, okay, let's, let's stick your life story in this book. How does it appear then? Then is it radical or then is it safe? Then is it weird? Does it even fit? And, and that's part of this whole journey for us is, is just believing that the Lord has, has something more for us. And, and we want our, our lives to make sense in light of Scripture. And I believe it's, it's getting there. I, I think God's done some wonderful things. I'm thrilled about my life. I wouldn't want anyone else's life. I, I, I love what God's doing. Um, and now I just think he's taking us to another on this, on this adventure with a whole family. And I, I don't want to just assume, you know, hey, we're going overseas. We're going to, go to, we're going to experience this, this, and this. So it's going to be a great time. Because uh, it's, it's not like the, God's going to work because we're going to another location. Um, God changes us through his Holy Spirit. And so I don't want to assume that, oh, if I go over there, I'm going to experience his spirit. It's not about that. It says, I pray for that and I desire that. And as other people pray for me, I'll experience these things. But I just really believe we're being led in this direction. And it's a, it's, it's a pretty crazy thing. And, and if you look at 
the world and the norm. Um, but when you look at scripture, it's really not that crazy at all. It's somewhat tame, somewhat safe. I just really want to experience God. Um, as you pray for us, the temptation will be, okay, Lord, I pray for the chance. I pray that they'd be safe. Pray that nothing difficult happens to them. And and yet I, I want to challenge you to pray differently for us. I'm not saying pray that we all get beat up. I'm just saying there's, some, there's a bigger picture to this. I, what I'm asking you to pray for is that we would really experience God, that we would just have supernatural things happen. Um, there, there's just been times in my life when I've experienced God in a fresh new way. It's not necessarily because I'm overseas or, or anything else. It's just he just chooses to do something where I'm just indebted to him and just in love with him for it um, even more. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, I would read the scriptures and then attend church or whatever and go, gosh, it seems like there's more. <laughs> there's more when I read this. There's more I'm not experiencing and, and I think that's been the ongoing story of my life. And then every time I experience more of God, I go, okay, I think there's even more. And, I, and that's just another one of those times in my life where it's like, wow, God, you've shown yourself so faithful so often. But here you go again. I think there's something more that you want us to experience and, and, and to do. And so that's what we're doing. And I, I would ask that we would really get that, um, that Rachel, Mercy, even Zeke and Ellie and Lisa and I would would all grow in our walks with the Lord. Um, I just believe there's more of God to know and more of his Holy Spirit to experience. Uh, when, you, when you read in Scripture, I know you guys are going through Ephesians, and, and Todd's going to unpack more of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, but I want to point some things out in that passage because it, it's a lot of what I'm talking about. See, when Paul prayed for people, it's, it's like Paul had been in this place where he experienced so much of God and he knew that other people weren't getting all that. So he said, God, I'm, I'm praying that they would get that and experience more of him. And as I read that prayer, I'm going, okay, that's what I want for me too. See, Paul says to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15, he goes, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place. See, so see, Paul, when he's praying for the Ephesians, he just doesn't just say, ah, oh, you know, Lord, I pray that they're safe. I pray that you know, whatever. His prayer is, is, is very God-focused, is very, oh God, there's so much more of you to know, and I want these Ephesians to know that. Would you give them a, just a spirit of wisdom? Uh, would you give them a, a, a revelation of the knowledge of Him? Uh, like, like, open their eyes, reveal to them how much of Jesus there is to know. And so when I look at that prayer, I go, okay, that's what I want you to pray for. 
um, because we are a part of a mystery that is so much bigger than sometimes we we make it out to be. We almost want to compartmentalize it. And Paul's going, no, there's, there's so much more of God to know. And he's just saying, God, would you open their eyes? I, I want them to see everything. I want them to understand how much power is available to them. And I guess that's the first prayer I would want you to pray for me is, is that same thing when Paul says in verse 19, um, and what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Like, I want to pray that I would understand just how much power is available to me. Because according to Paul, he's saying, God, I want them to understand how much power you're, you're putting towards them. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to them. So pray for power. Pray that I would get that. Pray that Lisa would get that. Pray the kids would get that. Pray for this it's it's just like when Jesus says in John fourteen twelve, you know, he says, "Look, I'm 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 leaving the earth, but you, you saw the things that I did. You're going to do even greater things than these." Um, like I take that literally. Now, I mean, there was a time in my life when people say, "Ah, yeah, that, he didn't really mean what he said," but now I'm like, "No, I take that literally." Like. I think I have no clue the amount of power that's available to me. I think very few of us do, and that's why Paul says, would you open their eyes to see that? And so pray for that. Pray for that for me. Pray for that for the kids. And, and, I, and I love it because it's not like it's not something God wants. You know, It's not like God's going, oh, I don't want to give Francis my power. I don't want him to know. No, these are things he wants. And so understand, as you pray this for me, this is what I'm praying for you also. Um, I want you to get it. I want us all to get it. How much power is available to us? Because I don't think we get that yet. So just pray that I would be powerful, bold, confident in the power of God and I would experience his power in a new way. Secondly, pray that I would enjoy him as I serve him. I, I think that's, that's just woven in this is this is a blessing to know God. It's not a chore. And it's the same with serving him. It's like, Wow, here's this magnificent God. And sometimes I don't see all of that and enjoy all of that. So would you pray that over me and pray that over our family? Because I I don't ever want this to be about, oh, look at me. Look at how much I'm suffering for the gospel. It's not that. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, as, as John Piper says, it's a Christian hedonism. It's, it's like a, man, we, we actually get excited over this. This is actually a thrill to me. And right now, as I look at what we're about to do, I am very, very excited about this. I mean, I think to myself, this is nuts. I mean, you guys know my burden for uh, human trafficking and, and for some of these kids that are enslaved right now. And it, it, you guys know, man, that's just a part in my life that it's, it hits me. It hits me hard. I, and I got to do something. And I, and I get excited over the fact that, okay, this is an opportunity to really understand this issue and really understand how I can best help the situation. I'm very excited. I, I want to keep that mindset. I want to enjoy this, even through the pain, even through the hardship. And, 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 and I know it's going to kill me to see some of the suffering and what's going on. But I also get excited to be a part of God's work. And, and I want to maintain that enjoyment of ministry. Um, I, the other thing I'm really thrilled about is there I'm visiting a lot of families uh, widows and orphans and their dads were literally killed for their faith 
I mean, some of them were crucified. Some of them were tortured, like literally, physically. And, and I think, wow, so your dad or your husband was killed, persecuted because he was a follower of Jesus. And so in my heart, man, I, I just go, okay, I want to find those people and I just want to treat them like royalty. I mean, those should be our heroes. I just want to find out, man, okay, so they came down, they burned your house down and they killed your husband. Man, look, we're going to build your house. We're going to take care of this. We're going to do that. Like, I get excited. Like, I, someone's got to care for these people. We got to treat these people like gold. These are our brothers and sisters and ones who have really suffered for the gospel. And so I'm excited about this and I want to maintain that. So pray that I would just enjoy the service, that it never is a burden, um, like a negative thing, but that I would keep the sense of, wow, God, keep revealing yourself. Show me your power. And then the last thing, the third thing is, Pray that I would learn a ton. I'm not thinking I'm going to go overseas and be the savior of Asia. You know, it's, it's more, I really believe this is going to be a huge, huge learning trip for me. Um, I hear about our brothers and sisters and the churches there just on fire, multiplying like you would not believe. And then I hear of in the U.S., just last year alone, around 4,000, just last year, 4,000 Christian churches closed their doors last year, shut down, out of commission, about 10 a day, they say, on average, Christian churches close their doors every week. And I just go, are you kidding me? That's, that's alarming. That bothers me. That, uh, ten of these, you know, you know, probably not like these, but, but ten, you know, Christian gatherings that just go bankrupt or fold or just lose interest every day. And yet I'm hearing about millions come to the Lord and these other, I, I want to learn from that. And, and Lord willing, if it's his will, it, I, I think he's wanting me to learn that and, and come back and, and be encouraged and be excited about what God could do here. Um, so, so, so pray for that. And, um, and that's about it. I, I, I'm asking for your prayers. A very exciting time in my life. Quick update on the Chan family. Everyone is doing really, really well. I've never been more in love with my family. Never seen God work more in my family. Um, we've never been tighter. Uh, I know right before I left, I shared that Lisa, Lisa was pregnant. And two weeks after I shared, I, um, we lost the baby. And, uh, so I, I know some of you guys knew about that. It's on my website, but, uh, um, so that was a, that was a tough time, but everyone's doing great through that. It's been a little while now and some times have passed. Um, another last thing is, is, uh, Rachel, our, our oldest, just, uh, this was a total surprise, unplanned. The Lord just dropped something on our laps where uh, uh, Rachel had the opportunity to record an album, um, was asked to do that, and uh, it, you just finished recording it, and they're mixing it while we're gone and everything else, but it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I know I'm biased because I'm dad, but uh, it's, it's, it's weird because a lot of you guys were with us when she was born. I mean, not that you were in the hospital, but, uh, you know, you, you saw this newborn baby. I mean, that was all in this cornerstone time, you know, here's this couple and we just started church. Lisa gets pregnant. We have this baby and you were with us on this journey. And now she's this, 
young lady, you know, amazing, you know, young lady, a spirit-filled young woman of God. And, and, and it's, it's weird as a dad, I'm seeing, okay, God, you're, you're moving her life in a certain way that has nothing to do with me now. It's like your spirit, you're her true dad. And, and there's been this time of kind of letting go and going, wow, you've got your own life now. And we're starting to do this process where you're growing up and the spirit is leading you and he wants to do some great things through you. And it's time is for dad to let go. And I, and I say that because it's difficult, but it's right. And when I look back at Cornerstone, I believe the greatest thing I did was see some people get saved, see them get equipped here, and then watch them leave and do these crazy ministries. And, and it's always hard to let go, but it's the right thing. That's the process is I don't want Rachel to live at home the rest of her. I mean, you know, I love her and all, but you know what I mean? It's like, there comes a time where you start to separate and you got to do your own thing now. And I guess that's my prayer is that as I believe the Lord's calling me on to something, that each of you would look at your lives and, and go, okay, is this the time for me to just consider something? What is it, that next step of faith? Because again, you don't want to be depending. Um, I don't want her dependent on dad all the time. I'll always be here, always love her. It's time to let go, time to let her move on and experience God. And that's, that's my prayer for Cornerstone. Um, man, I'll always be around. Uh, and and uh, I thank God that I got to be a part, an integral part of some of your lives. I don't take that for granted. That's awesome. Um, but I also believe that now the Lord's calling some of you to, to say, okay, I've been given a lot and it's time to go and explore what the Spirit has for me. And so... As we do it as a family, I pray that you do the same thing. And so what I'm going to leave you with is uh, Rachel actually wrote a song about this journey. I mean, it was really cool. I didn't even know she did it. She wrote this song about us, us leaving. And I'd like to leave you with that and, and, um, and kind of close with that is uh, let you hear just her thoughts on the whole issue. And I think it just would be fun for some of you because you've seen her grow up and and she's a huge part of my life. And so I love you. I'll be praying for you. I thank you so much for praying for us. And uh, follow God with everything you've got. Searching for what I'm meant to do I need to stop pretending That I know which road to choose I need you I need you I've wasted time defending Why life should stay this way There's a reason things are changing 
But I'm glad you stay the same I need you I need you Jesus, all I've known Is this simple home There's no doubt in me That it's time to go But I'm waiting here Till you show me what I should do Jesus, I'm resting in you The stress is getting heavy But I know how much you care And no matter where you lead me You're already there I need you I need you Jesus, all I've known Is this simple home There's no doubt in me That it's time to go But I'm waiting here Till you show me what I should do All I've known is this simple home There's no doubt in me that it's time to go But I'm waiting here till you show me what I should do Jesus, I'm resting in you Well, we'll um, I want to take some time to pray for them uh, this morning, uh, not let it go by too quickly. Um, here's the thing, and sorry, I put a cough drop right in before I came up because I am sicker than sick this morning. So <laughs> if I start chewing, it's like, <laughs> so way to kill the moment, Todd. Um, but I want to pray for them how they've asked us to pray for them. I think our tendency, if we're not careful, is to pray for them in such a way that we would uh, hinder what God wants to do th- for, through their life because sometimes I think we send out someone we love and we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to experience pain. But we all know this. We know this for a fact, don't we? That God has this phenomenal capacity to use even the lowest of the lows and the most difficult times in our life to shape us into the people that we are. And I think sometimes what happens is, is we pray in such a way that it actually, in a way... We pray against what God wants to do in their life. We pray against sometimes even if, if some of the, the worst things that could happen to people, we pray that out of their life without knowing that actually God takes those things and uses them for his glory in incredible ways. So if you could join me right now, I want to give you just like about 30 to 45 seconds on your own just to pray for Francis, Lisa, uh, the girls, and little Zeke, and, and just that God truly would do work through them. So the next 30, 35 seconds are all yours.
Father, I do pray that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. I beg you that you would open their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, and enlighten them. That they may know what is the truly the hope that you've called them to and what is the riches of the glorious inheritance uh, that you have in them. What is the immeasurable greatness of your power, Father? Would they know that and live that and experience that? God, would this not just be some type of a pilgrimage or awkward adventure where they just go around experiencing things, but instead, Father, I pray that you would truly use it in such a way that uh, as Francis speaks or as the kids serve or as Lisa does various things, God, would you just absolutely allow them to, out of your power, come alongside saints on the other side of the planet and be an encouragement to them. And then, Father, in return, I just pray that those saints truly would be a massive encouragement to Francis and Lisa and the kids. And God, the thing he's asked is it would be done with joy, with excitement. But Father, I ask that they not be the same people when they return home. Not for any other reason other than for your glory and their good and our good. Father, we desperately want to see you do a work through them. But God, I'm so thankful that your spirit isn't just alive in India or Thailand or China. Father, I also pray that same thing for us. May we truly be a group of people that know you, love you, walk with you, that we're not spectators that sit on the side and watch, but instead we're people engaged in what you're doing on this planet. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right. I'll just apologize in advance. I've been coughing. And uh, so I'll try to always block it, and I'll try not to spew. Um, just so you know, this is the splash zone out front, so <clears throat> y'all are going to get sick out there. Um, it was so funny. We, I was starting to feel better. You know how you like, it's that whole thing of not praying. Um, well, I was praying that God would bring uh, trials into my life to help me to grow. And on Thursday night, we got a phone call from uh, uh, the social worker just saying, hey, good news, do you want a one-month-old? And uh, so we haven't slept since Thursday night, so uh, be careful what you pray for. But here's where I want to go with off of what Francis did. This whole passage, what Francis talked about and what Paul's going to be talking about is specifically is that we would not be spectators. Like one of the funniest things in the world to me is when people who cheer for a team say, we won. Have you ever heard that before? That's absolutely hilarious to me. I was in Chicago, and I'm down, at, and this was back in the mid-90s, and I couldn't find anywhere to watch the Bulls play the Magic, and this was back, Michael Jordan was there, and, and Shaq was still playing for Orlando, and I finally get down to this, I find this bar and grill, and I get down, and it's the end of the fourth quarter, and the Bulls win, and everybody's like, yeah, we won, you know, and I thought, I wanted to look at all of them and say, no, you didn't. <laughs> the Bulls won, <laughs> right? But there's just this thing, we are a spectator culture. We love to watch others do great things. We love to watch the Olympics, man. I bet you some of you in here that are old enough can remember when uh, the U.S. beat the Russians. Remember that? I mean, oh, yeah, I was just sitting in. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Mike Arruzzioni. But, um, but it was just this whole thing in which we, the, all of us in the United States thought we won. And, no, we didn't. I was in a little house in LaGrange, Wyoming, watching on this bad TV as this all took place in Lake Placid, New York. Now, what Paul's talking about is, is to be so careful, is that Christianity is not a spectator reality. 
Christianity is not something that we're to watch from out here and to watch others do. And I think one of the things that sometimes happens, especially in larger churches, is that they, there's a guy that God raises up. And if we're not careful, we can have a tendency to look what God is doing through him. And we can almost live our Christianity through him. Now, what Paul's praying is, though, is that, no, that's not how we operate. And in fact, God has called us to something so much more. He's called us to actually be engaged in it. And I think a lot of us don't want to because we see some of these incredible athletes do incredible things. Like, you know, back in the day when I'd watch Shaq or you'd watch uh, uh, Michael Jordan do this, you'd watch them play and then you go watch yourself go out on the basketball court and play pickup games. And you realize, I'm no Michael. And as much as the commercial says I want to be like Mike, I can't be like Mike. I don't jump as high. I got a gut. I've got all these things. It just keeps me from actually being like Mike. But what Paul wants us to understand is, is whatever point that God brings us in, he wants us to have our eyes open to the reality that this whole thing that God's called us to, we can be engaged in. See, I think it's great that Francis is going to go to India and Francis is going to go to Thailand and China. And I'm praying for him as as a friend. I can't wait to hear what God does through him. And I can't wait for him to experience that because some of those places I've been to, and I went there, boy, it is dark. When I went to India, I don't know if you've ever been to India before, but it is a dark, dark place. Everywhere you go, every corner you turn, everything that you're involved in, it just is absolutely a dark place. But let me throw something at you right now. What if God, for one moment, kind of ripped the covers back here in Simi Valley and showed us the darkness of Simi? What would we see? See, I think in a place like this in the United States, we're able to cover over the darkness a little bit better. But let me tell you something. What is happening right here in Simi Valley, California, in Southern California, in Los Angeles, California, we are just as engaged in a spiritual battle as what he's going to be involved in. It just so happens that we've kind of become numb to it. We kind of just get caught up in our mundane life. And the only reason that when I went to India, I was blown away from it, blown away by it was, is the moment you get in there, you land in an airport. And when I landed in Mumbai, I came out of the airport and I entered into the world's largest slum. They not only that, but they say one day in Mumbai is like smoking 21 cigarettes. One day. And then everywhere you went, it was just this spiritual darkness. But as soon as I came home, we have this tendency to just kind of get caught up in a pattern. Before we know it, what we're doing is, is we're involved in this, the reality of life. We're waking up, we're getting the kids ready for school, we're getting ourselves ready for work, we get them off to school, we go to work, we come home, we eat dinner, we do their homework, we do the various things we're supposed to do, we put them to bed and we get started with that all over again. Let me tell you something. The reason that Paul wants our eyes to be opened is because that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants nothing more than to get this group of people caught up in this monotony that is life and we just kind of go through with our eyes not open, with our hearts not open to what God's doing around the world. And what Paul prays in this group of people is that they not get caught up in it. Instead, that God opens their eyes to what's going on. And here's what he opens them up. Let me give you the three things that he says he wants the hearts, the eyes of their hearts enlightened to. Look at the first one in verse 18. He says, having the heights, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And then he's going to give the purpose. That you may know, he says, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and this last one is where we're going to spend our time this morning, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Here's the first one that he's going to lay out. 
that you may know what is the hope. Now, that word know literally doesn't mean that I'm, I can know about it. In my life, I've always wanted to go skydiving. I can tell you all kinds of things about skydiving because I love to go to YouTube. I love to watch all these things. And I'm like, oh, man, one day I would love to skydive. From what I understand, though, when you get up there and you're actually standing at the edge of the plane and you actually are jumping, then you get to know skydiving, right? It's real easy for me to sit back and go, oh, yeah, I want to. But it's another thing for me to be standing there. And some guys, you know, they hook you into each other. You know, they're like, are you ready? And I'm like looking down going, I'm about ready to know skydiving. See, what happens is, is when we sit on the bench and we don't do anything, we get to know about it, but we don't know it. And what he's going to talk about here is when he says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He actually wants you to dive into the game because when you dive into the game of walking with Jesus Christ, you experientially begin to know that hope. We've talked about that for the last few weeks, this idea of hope. Not a hope in this world. In fact, his whole thing that he's writing to the Ephesians, at this time, Ephesus was one of the greatest cities on the planet. And their hope was caught up in Artemis and all the artisan work and all these different things. And Paul's like, no, it's not. In fact, to this day, Ephesus is just this little hole in the wall, little town. It's a nothing anymore. See, we've sometimes put our hope even in a country We put our hope in parties. We put our hope in in what's going to happen in these different things. And let me tell you something. The thing that I think is so good for us as Americans is is God has kind of taken the rug in the United States and went like this. Because what it's caused us to realize is, is that things come and things go. We all know this all can fall apart. But the thing that we also know that he wants them to increase their hope in is that the less that they pour their life into this world and the more they pour their life into the world to come, we start to get a greater and a greater hope. And in fact, he caveats it with this idea that you made of the hope that which you were called. Something greater. He gives the second thing is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice how he doesn't say, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance? He says, his glorious inheritance. Did you know that you and I, as his glorious inheritance, that God can't wait to come back and get us? See, sometimes I think that God is this distant, far-off God that somehow we can't touch and he's out of sight. But literally the idea of this being his glorious inheritance is, is that he can't wait to come get us. In fact, the Bible talks about in 2 Peter, the only thing holding him back at this point is that he wants all to repent. In other words, he wants all to, to come to a point of repentance so that none would perish. That's the only thing holding them back right now. And Paul prays, man, I hope, I want you to see that. I want you to understand it. But here's the last thing I want you to understand. He says this, verse 19. I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Why would he say that? It is easy to sit back and to look at Christianity and say, oh, I would love to get engaged But it's what I talked about. What Satan does is is he gets us caught up in this little pattern of life where we don't do anything. We don't get anything done. The reason Francis was talking about it is is that somehow even in his life he realized, man, if I don't go do something, I'm going to get caught up in this pattern. And I don't want to get caught up in that pattern of just going through the mundane things every day in my life. I want God to do a work in such a way that literally I experience God. I know God on a daily basis. I know his power of what he's talking about. See, the moment any of you in this room decide to actually start living, now some of you are and some of you are engaged fully, but some of you know that you're sitting around just going through the mundane realities of life. The moment some of you in this room decide to say, you know what, I am going to go get engaged in that. 
There is somebody out there that does not want you engaged. The evil one will come after you like no tomorrow because there's nothing more than the evil one wants not to happen than for us in this room to get engaged in what God's doing. Paul says the reason that we need this power, look at him, he's going to explain this power. It's according to the working of his great might. Look what he talks about here, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now let me tell you something. That is cool. To defeat death, that is amazing. In fact, the way he caveats it, let me just take you to a couple passages. Go to Acts 2.24. Acts 2.24. Let me show you what I'm talking about in this whole thing of him defeating death. Acts 2.24. Peter's preaching. and He just told all of them that they they were killed by by the hands of lawless men. And then in verse 24, he says this. God raised him, that being Jesus, up. And then he says it this way, loosing the pangs of death. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, what he's saying when he loosed the pangs, the idea was is that literally he ripped back death itself and Christ, when he was resurrected, came through that. The only one that has ever defeated death is Jesus Christ. I hear over and over people tell me something like this. They'll say, you know what? I get that whole resurrection thing. But man, there's just this one sin in my life that I can't overcome. Now think about that for a second. God has the capacity to rip his son out of the jaws of death. But whatever sin is in your life, he just can't handle. That's weird. I'm not saying it's not going to happen overnight. And I know there's all kinds of sin that's going on in here. I know for me in my old life, it was drinking, it was drugs. That was the one thing that I couldn't believe when God rescued me out of it because it was just something that had his claws around me. Others of you in here, there's, there's forms of, of depression and, and, and there's forms of even uh, uh, things going on in your life as far as uh, sexual sin and all kinds of different things that are going on. And I have so many people that come into the office that want to talk to me and they're so defeated somehow thinking that I can't, there's no way. And you're right, you can't, but the one who overcame death can. The very one that defeated it. In fact, he's going to talk a little bit further about it. Go back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Matt's going to open this up for us, but it's very connected to this. When he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, look at chapter 2, verse 4. He said, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look at this, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And look at this, and raised us up with him. See, it wasn't just that he brought Jesus back from the dead, but literally is that when we do baptism and the reason that people get baptized is when I take down somebody, we're symbolically acting out this invisible act whereby which now when they go into the water, they've died with Jesus and when they come back out, they've risen to a new life. See, that is a miracle. Last service, we had somebody in here that I've absolutely fallen in love with. It's Bill and Pam Rucker. They're in my neighborhood For three, four, five years, I don't remember how long it was, this man fought alcohol hard. 
It absolutely ripped his, it was almost ready to rip his marriage apart, had ripped his family apart. Everything was falling apart. And then something miraculous happened by faith, not because of works, not because of anything he had done. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And what happened to him? He got buried with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. When he was raised up, he was made a new man. Now go with me to, uh, um, to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 15. What happened to Bill? Oh, you know what? I'm sorry, Romans 6. I lied to you. See? It's so funny. This guy walked up to me after, this, after the first service, and he goes, so you're not getting much sleep? And I go, no. And he goes, well, that's cool. You're getting plenty of time to pray every night. And I'm like... Why don't you go over and watch my kid tonight? I'll let you pray. <laughs> Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what we're talking about. In other words, we are baptized, literally, we, we join him in his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised to the dead by the glory of the Father, look at this, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Think about it for just a second. Do you believe that God is so powerful, he's so able That not only could he rip Jesus Christ from the jaws of death, but he has the capacity to to empower you to live in newness of life. Because what happened in Bill and Pam's life is one of those things that I'll never forget. Just this last week, I got a phone call, and and it was uh, on Sunday night. Or she came by the house, and she just Bill, Pam came by just crying. She came up and gave me a hug, and she said, Look, I just need to tell you, Bill has cancer. It's one of those things that had been in him and it's just absolutely kind of getting through a lot of his system. But she just, we were kind of praying. I prayed with her. I went and prayed with another family and that Sunday came to service. After service, went to be with them. And let me tell you something. I showed up in his room Sunday night and they were glowing. See, unbelievers don't glow. You walk in when you're dealing with an issue like cancer and they're either got that look on their face like I'm gonna beat it And you hate to tell them that, yeah, once you beat that, if you beat that, there's something else that will beat you called death. But Bill, it was so interesting. And I looked at him and I said, how you doing? He goes, well, if I die, I know where I'm going. And he just glowed. See, that's what we're talking about. Now go to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the reality of when we talk about the power that comes to bear on our life. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 54. When the perishable, that being us in this, this, this world that's falling apart, that's decaying, that God one day is gonna, it's gonna burn, puts on the imperishable or that which we receive when we go to be with Jesus and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, the reason that I was able to go into a room with a man who was living in newness of life that had just been told he, was gonna, he had cancer and he had the possibility of it being all throughout his body, the reason that he was able to have a smile upon his face is, is that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago removed the stinger of death. See, this man, Bill, he might die from cancer. I don't know. I'm praying like crazy against it because I don't think God's done with him yet. But... The very thing that Satan uses against all kinds of people, he can't use against us because when we die, we're not ushered off to pain eternally. We're ushered off to paradise. We're different. The power that is given to us by Jesus Christ on that day that that God the Father, via the power of the Spirit, ripped him from the grave and now comes to life in our life gives us a whole new life completely. But it doesn't stop there. Go back with me to Ephesians. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Not only did he raise him from the dead, but look what he talks about in verse 20. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. What are those things we're talking about? Go with me to Ephesians 6. Just a page over probably in your Bible. Look at verse 12. Actually, let's start in verse 11. Paul's calling us because of the reality of living in a spiritual world with with demons and with Satan and the reality of there. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen to me. Satan is real. He is so real. And if you choose to start living in such a way that you're going to honor God and you're going to start getting out of that monotony of life and you're going to start living a life in which now it's not about your things and what you want to do, but you start living in such a way that you're going to join God and we'll talk about what that means in here just a little bit. I promise you Satan won't like it. He will do everything in his power to stop you. But let me tell you something. He can't win. He can't. Not only can he not win in this life, but he will not win in the life to come. It is absolutely impossible because when we go to Colossians 2, we already know this, that when Jesus Christ laid on, when he was placed on the cross and he was nailed to the tree, literally the idea was that he defeated Satan, even mocking him to that point. But the obvious question now comes. If that's true and he's placed him under his feet and that is all these things, then why in the world are things still in this world falling apart? And I was thinking about this, like why is it then, and I looked through this biblically, if this is true, then why are things so still bad? I thought Jesus won. Does anybody remember the war in Grenada? Let me ask you this, who doesn't remember the war in Grenada? Okay, nobody wants to. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. How old are you, 12? <laughs> the war in Grenada, does anybody even know how long it lasted? You don't measure it in days, you measure it in hours. Ronald Reagan decided, you know what, we can't have the spread of communism going on, and so he sent a group of troops over to this little island of Grenada. Can you imagine the full force of the United States Army like coming at this little island? They're like, ah! He gets there, and in, in, literally in hours, he came in and absolutely 
brought control to the entire island. And while he brought control to the entire island, the one thing that took place, though, is as they started to pull out troops, there were people that did not want this to take place. There were people that were still, in fact, it talked about snipers that were still taking out soldiers as they left because what they were trying to do is to help them understand that while they were defeated, they were going to make sure, though, that they could do everything in their power to try to regain control of the island. And what the United States had to do was is they had to leave a force there. And leaving a force there, what that force did was is that force then began to take out all these little factions of people that were trying to somehow resubdue this island and bring it back under communist rule. Now, what's taking place here is, is the victory has been secured. Let me tell you something. Jesus has won. But Satan and his followers have not accepted defeat. In fact, they're doing everything they can in this demonic battle that rages on to wreck your life, to wreck your marriage, to wreck your family, to wreck your neighborhood, to wreck your place of employment. In other words, the whole idea behind Satan is he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And while Jesus has won, the reality is, though, is that this world still needs to be subdued like things were in Grenada. So what's God's plan for that? This is why Paul wanted their eyes opened. Look at verse 22. And he put all things under his feet, even Satan himself, and gave him his head over all things. He is the supreme one, but he gave him to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now listen to me. The reason Francis talked about John 14, 12 is that Jesus promised we would do greater things is because while Jesus was here on earth in his physical body, he was, he was limited to what was going on in Palestine and in, in that known world. And everywhere he went, the, the power of God went with him and he did incredible things. But the thing that Satan didn't understand was is that when Jesus Christ went into the grave and when he was raised again, he was raised again all new and he promised, he remember he said this, that my, when my spirit comes upon you, you will have power and you will be my witnesses all over the world. Not only that, but there will be a power that will be just like the power I had and you all now will be my witnesses in a unique way and you will take the same power I had and you will go to various places. And the whole idea that Paul's talking about Ephesians when he says this all in all is that the, the, the NIV says that you will fill everything in every way. Now what does that mean? It starts with your own life. What God is after in every one of our lives is to fill this all in all is that first of all, it begins in Todd, those areas where the lordship of Jesus Christ is not present. There are areas in Todd which Satan still attacks me and still buffets me and I succumb and the whole idea is is that I'm joining God because God doesn't want part of Todd. He wants all of me. Not only that, but think about your spouse if you have one. Satan is after your spouse. Your job is to join God to bring about the lordship of Jesus Christ in your spouse's life, in your kids' lives, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and even to the most remote parts of the world, Jesus says, is that if Jesus Christ is truly Lord, then the greatest thing we can do in our lives and for other people is to come alongside of them and help them to understand that Jesus is truly Lord and bend your knee now, not later. 
When he talks about this whole idea of fullness, what he's talking about is, is that we would be representatives in this world. In fact, he talks about it in 1 Peter 2. Go there with me real quick. 1 Peter 2. He's talking about us as a group of people. And in verse 9, he says this. <clears throat> he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have re- received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as people that don't belong here, this is not your home, you're in exile. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain from those things that keep you trapped to this world, that keep you engaged in this world. He says, and not only that, but which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, the unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What we're being asked to do is to join him in his great commission. The great commission in Matthew 28 says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What does he say to do? Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. And not only that, but when you make a disciple of something, someone, it is so incredible to watch the shalom, the peace of God come into their life. There is so much non-peace in this world. What was going on in Bill and Pam's life was non-peace. She had left him. She was going to leave that sorry sucker and go somewhere else. The kids have abandoned him in so many different ways. But when Jesus Christ came into his life, it's not that life became better from the standpoint he still got cancer. But shalom came into his life. He became a different man. And let me tell you something. In Simi Valley, California, just like where Francis is going to India, let me tell you something. We need shalom in Simi Valley. Marriages are falling apart, and Satan loves that. Just in Cornerstone alone, we have marriages that are falling apart. What is needed? The lordship of Jesus, the shalom, the peace of Jesus to come in. Businesses are falling apart. Families are falling apart. We desperately need that lordship. And if you look all around your neighborhood, if you look around your workplace, if you look around your schools, oh, do we need the shalom of God. When Jesus left, here's what he did. He left us his spirit. And he said, now go get him. He's left us here to go and to proclaim a message. And the message is this. Go with me to 2 Corinthians and we'll finish here. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 18. Actually, let's start 17. (coughs) He says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And look what he did. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's why we've been left here. 
God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I was talking with a guy the other day and he said, why is it that my pastor never told me that I'm supposed to share my faith? And then I thought, gosh, when's the last time from the front I looked at Cornerstone's people and I said, with joy and with happiness and with excitement. We have the greatest message on the planet. We have a message to people to tell them something that's so different and so unique. See, we're not trying to conquer the world by war and we're not trying to conquer the world by force. We're conquering, we're coming in in a completely different way. In fact, we're coming in as servants, not as masters. And we're coming in and we're washing feet and we're displaying Jesus to the world and we're telling them this message that Jesus is Lord and the greatest thing in the world is is he needs to be Lord of your life and the shalom of God comes into your life because you need to be right with him. You need to be reconciled to him. But we walk around like this every single day. And I confess to you all, I struggle with it just as much. But he's left us to give that message. He could have left rocks because he said, if none of us talk, the rocks will cry out. But some of us are acting more like rocks than people. He's left us on this planet to be engaged in something that is so big and so huge and so beyond us. He's asked us to not sit by on the sidelines. He's asked us to go engage in it. And the thing that Francis said that stuck out to me, he said, I'm looking for the adventure. Let me ask you something. What greater adventure is it than joining God in what he's doing and reconciling a planet to himself? Talk about adventure. That sells way better than the army. Join him. Be engaged in what God's doing. Beware, because once you engage, Satan's not going to like it. And make sure, don't start out there. Start right here. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Amen? Amen. Father, we beg you that you would do a work here that we can't. We believe that you are God and you are king. That you came down and you dismantled all that is so wrong. You defeated sin and Satan and death. And Father, forgive us because too often we, we go back into those things that we, that we used to be in. All the while, you offer hope and you offer peace. You offer contentment. And yet we still keep going back into that. Father, would you please open the eyes of our heart? Would you allow us to see? Would we not be deceived? Would you peel back the layers of our life and, and all around us allow us to see how much this city truly needs this message of reconciliation? And Father, may it not stop in Simi Valley, but you, would you even draw people to yourself that leave Simi Valley and even go to the uttermost parts of the world, taking with them the greatest message ever. Father, we love you so much. Would you please open our eyes to what you're doing through your kingdom and your righteousness on this planet right now. Help us to be a part in Simi Valley. In your precious name we pray, amen. If there's anybody here today that hasn't made Jesus Lord of their life, Don't wait. 
you don't know, you don't have a clue the hour that God's going to call you home. Today's the day to come and to repent and to tell God, God, I have so worked against you. You need to come by faith because the Bible says you can't earn your way to God because salvation is by grace through faith. I have to believe. I have to put my faith and my trust in him. I also know there's people in here that haven't been baptized, that have told the whole world in the same way that God took and he, I joined Jesus in his death and I was raised again to this newness of life. The way in which we show that is through baptism. If you'd like to be baptized today, we'd love to baptize you to be able to proclaim to everyone in here that. The other part about it is, is I know there's sin in certain people's life that's keeping them from being engaged and the evil one keeps haunting you with it. He keeps telling you, you can't do this and he makes you mediocre because of the sin in your life. And that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to deal with that sin. If you need to come forward and confess and confess to your family, there's nothing cooler than repenting and telling God, God, use me. Get this out of my life so Satan can't ever accuse me ever again of these various things. Hi, my name is Joshua Walker, and I'm the president of Eternity Bible College and an elder here at Cornerstone. Back in 2003, Francis Chan and a group of guys, including myself, started a Bible college in order to train the next generation of church leaders. So why start another Bible college? Well, first, we're passionate about interacting with the people around us instead of isolating ourselves. Second, our faculty has a genuine love for God, and they actually live God-centered lives that are worthy of imitation by our students. Third, our teaching style emphasizes teaching students how to think instead of just what to think. We give our students the tools and training to think biblically through all of life's issues. Fourth, we offer a high-quality Bible education at a very affordable price. Students who come to EBC can expect excellence in the classroom with the peace of mind that they aren't going into debt for it. Finally, we are absolutely committed to partnering with local churches to help them accomplish the task Jesus commanded us to do, make disciples of all nations. A new and exciting way we are doing this is through our online classes. Now students from around the world will be able to get the same excellent Bible education without having to leave their local church. Eternity Bible College is not for everyone, but for those who decide to commit themselves to a rigorous biblical education, your faith will be challenged. If you'd like more information, please visit eternitybiblecollege.com.